Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me again for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. Today I have as my guest a woman who has embraced the biblical concept that faith without works is dead, which ties into the question I've posed for the discussion ahead of us. Is being intellectually opposed to abortion enough for the Christian? Valerie Hill is the CEO of Real Options and Obria Medical Clinics in the San Francisco Bay Area. And while abortion certainly qualifies as a political issue, she and her team of staff and supporters have proceeded to make it a personal issue, resulting in real-time help and care for the unborn, their parents, and those who have abortion in their past. Valerie, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, Valerie, you and I have known each other for quite some time, and I must tell you, I have always appreciated the humility and transparency you demonstrate as you pursue your calling. I've never once been in an event where you weren't speaking and sharing with your audience that you know that you are a sinner saved by grace. Tell my listeners, if you would, how you came to serve in your current capacity. Okay, sure. Well, I came to serve because my journey really starts with sin, with needing the Lord, with needing his forgiveness and, and needing to be set free from the shame and the guilt of an abortion that I chose as I ended a very abusive seven-year marriage, my first marriage. And instead of having the child that I was pregnant with as I departed that marriage, I chose abortion, which greatly uh, damaged me as a woman, as a wife, and as a mother, but mostly as, as a woman and a mother, uh, with a heart to be a mother. And uh, I really had not had a personal relationship with Jesus at that moment. I had a Catholic upbringing. I knew right from wrong, and I knew my choice was wrong, but I didn't realize how it would devastate me emotionally, mentally, and spiritually until I found salvation through Jesus Christ, which was thankfully and mercifully, only a few months after my abortion in 1984. And uh, I was telling someone today that it's amazing that the older I get and the longer I do this pro-life work for the Lord, the more regret I actually have over that abortion, not less. Now, I know I'm forgiven. And I know, and I've been able to forgive myself because I stood on the word and I went from, you know, that salvation experience to 
really learning and studying God's word to attending a three-year Bible college um, to giving my testimony in school, which was very humbling and to knowing that every time I could give testimony to his grace and mercy that I could be helping other people as well, because I know that this, unfortunately this sin is far goes far and wide in the church and too many people are, are really, I would say stuck in the shame because of their silence. But if, you know, if you don't have a a level of healing and you don't have a level of confidence in who God is and what he's done for us, then it's hard to, it's hard to share. It's hard to share. So sharing what God has done for me on the cross, sharing what his word and how his word and study of his word has set me free is a joy that I have now. Um, You know, we talk, we were going to talk about beauty for ashes, or we're kind of getting to that point. But it really is what that's all about. It's, it's sharing God's grace and goodness and mercy in your life, and where he's brought you from, because everyone's come from some sin in some place. Abortion happens to be, I think, a particularly heinous sin that has its roots in some type of usually sexual sin. And it it just is very personal uh, and damaging to women at the core of who God created us to be. So you said something that's interesting. And Granted, your abortion was back in 1984. Mm -hmm. And one would think, one would think that as time has gone on Mm -hmm. and things that were previously considered bad or shameful have gotten a certain degree of acceptability. Mm. But is it not true that women today in a very modern and quote unquote liberated society Mm-hmm. feel the same shame and guilt and want to keep it hidden that you did back in 1984. Absolutely. They're they're not only wanting to keep it hidden, but actually in some ways they're more blatant about wanting to justify it. I don't know if you've seen or heard, I'm sure you have, the crowds of women and and I do think our generation is more pro-life than it's ever been, really. The youth of our generation, but there's still, there are women out there that want to parade the fact that they've had an abortion, that they want to, they talk about it on, on television and talk shows and um, Hollywood actresses that want to want to talk about it as if it's a badge of honor. And I think that's an even deeper cry for help. It's really an even deeper cry for help. And I just really see them as very, very damaged women. And they, they do need help. But And I think as time goes on, for me, of course, I, I kind of live and breathe this issue daily for the last 14 years. I 
every year, every year in January, we talk about the sanctity of human life and it becomes a front and center issue legislatively. There's the March for Life in Washington, D.C. There's marches in other cities like San Francisco and around the country. So there's an awareness brought to it, which I think is a, is a very, very good thing. But for me, as a post-abortive woman who had, you know, it regrets her abortion, I find layers of even more regret. You know, uh, I would say back in 1984, when I was first born again, or even in 1989, when I first started volunteering for this very organization, I didn't have the understanding or the maybe maybe the willingness to look at the generations that were lost through the one child that I aborted. I I didn't have a grasp on the consequences. And I can't change those consequences. I mean, those there are 63 plus million people missing just from our country alone since 1973 and the multiplication, the exponential loss is devastating on our culture. So now you said something which at first might seem inconsistent with having been forgiven Mm -hmm. and healed from your abortion. Mm -hmm. You say that as time goes on, the regret gets deeper. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me how, you mm-hmm. deal with that, and does that have anything to do with how you began in 1989 to volunteer to to use your experience to be of benefit to other people? Well, I definitely believe in using my past experience to benefit others because I know there's so many women and men in the body of Christ that are hurting from the loss of children in their lives through abortion decisions. And yet, I mean, I, I know I'm forgiven. There's no, no question about that. I know that the Lord is never going to hold this against me because he paid for every single sin, but we lose, we lose. I lost somebody in my life, in my family all those years ago. And uh, a, a grown adult son or daughter is missing from my life today. That's a big loss. And his or her children are missing from my life today. It doesn't get smaller because time goes on and then there's even more that God could have done with that person. Uh, they had gifts and calling. They had, he had plans and purposes for their lives already written in his book before there was yet one of them, Psalm 139 says. So I, that's why the regret. I think the consciousness and understanding or enlightenment of my own regret grows, not that the regret itself, I guess. I don't know if I'm explaining that very well or not. (laughs) 
No, you are. You are. I guess what I'm saying is there's been a progression. You're now the CEO of mm-hmm. a major crisis pregnancy center and we'll go into how that ministry has developed. Mm-hmm. But do you think God has used this journey to help you in your healing? Oh, yes, definitely. He has. Because there is reward in doing his work. There is a privilege and a reward in serving him, even though it might take courage, even though it might cost us a lot in our lives to, to be so involved in, in such a mission field as this, in such a culture as this. Yet there's great reward. There's, there are many, many children alive today because the team that I have and I have had the privilege of serving the community, serving other women with truth and compassion and full information and support so that they could say yes to, to those lives that they were carrying. And just last year, 1,037 babies' lives were spared and their, and their parents from abortion, from our, our efforts in our medical clinics. That's a lot of people in one year. There's, there could have been a lot more. I would have loved it if there were. But it, it's a, it is a privilege to be used by God. And it's all for him. We can't do it for ourselves. Right. Now, during the course of time that you moved from a volunteer, Mm -hmm. I guess I would say first being ministered to yourself, Mm -hmm. then volunteering, what would you say when answering the question that I posed at the beginning Is it enough to be intellectually opposed to abortion in terms of being a faithful Christian, or do you believe God requires more? I definitely believe um, he requires more. He calls us to action. Faith without works is dead. It is. We can't say we are pro-life or we believe in the sanctity of human life and just hide hide ourselves in the church or go to church on Sundays or or even give an offering uh, toward pro-life work or a donation to support real options, but never, never speak the truth to anyone that needs to hear it. And and I'm you know, there's always got to be a balance of speaking the truth in love. But I'm so appalled that so many pastors are so afraid of this conversation or this discussion, which is so based in God's word, but because they either shy away from it and call it a political discussion, which, by the way, every single prophet, every single apostle, every single person in the Bible (laughs) had to be involved in politics of their day because you can't stand for truth without being involved somehow. And I think that's where the church has missed it by and large is not caring about the morality of our culture by standing for truth in every 
realm, including our laws, including our legislature, including silently allowing something like Roe v. Wade to be even brought to our Supreme Court in 1973. And now for all these years, so many pastors, a few do, but so many do not ever talk about the sanctity of human life. Well, they're afraid they're going to hurt someone. They're afraid they're going to offend someone. I think there may be something even deeper than that, that um, speaking about it might have come to mind areas where they have participated either willingly or unwittingly. And so we have this idea that Jesus forgives us. And that's that as mm-hmm. opposed to God requires of us that mm-hmm. we speak the truth and having your own private little truth isn't the same thing as going out and making disciples. That's right. That's right. And that's what they're called to do. But that's what we're all called as Christians to do is to make disciples. And we have to be courageous and study the word enough to to have God's fruit, the fruit of his spirit in us so that we're not bashing anybody, but we're speaking the truth in love. It's true that every life is precious. Every child is made in the image of God. And it's really a sin against God, which is even more reason. It's against him and his very image, abortion is. And so there's there's just no excuse for not standing up for the sanctity of human life and learning how to do it with grace for those that are hurting from a past abortion and offering them. Like we have our pregnancy loss healing ministry, our hope program for people who have suffered from an abortion or, or even miscarriage that need healing, but you've got to take a step. You can't, you can't just hide and you can't just be silent. There's just, I don't know. I don't think there's an excuse and I don't think the Lord is going to give any excuses to especially leaders in the body of Christ who refuse to stand up. And I've seen that I've seen some pastors share about their abortion that they were a part of, or that they didn't know about, but found out about later, maybe as a college student or something else. But of course it always leads back to, in that case, having sex outside of marriage, but, so they were they were human and they fell before they were ever a pastor. Why can't they talk about it now? And and a few courageous ones do. You know, it's funny that you say that. I have had numerous friends who, during the course of our friendship, became guilty because they knew that I didn't know that there was abortion in the past. Oftentimes, and it happened with two people who didn't know each other, but the same scenario happened. They wanted me to know that there was abortion in their past, and they wanted to know if I still wanted to be their friend, Mm. which um, was really surprising to me because the sin wasn't against me. The sin was against God. The sin was against their child. Right. And I said, 
Well, first of all, of course, I'm still your friend, right? You've asked God for forgiveness and you've been forgiven. Mm-hmm. Use it to share with your daughters and your children. And they were, no, I could never do that. I could never tell my children that I had an abortion because mm-hmm. then they would think it was okay. And my mm-hmm. response, Valerie, was your testimony is that God has forgiven you. Right. Why would you withhold that from them? Yeah. Fear. It's fear of judgment that people have. They just, they still are allowing fear and shame to keep them in a prison because I, I shared with my daughter when she was of an appropriate age, probably around her junior high years attending Christian school. And I shared with her, I've shared and given tours to my own nieces of various age groups uh, when they came to visit. And uh, I think it's important. It's an important opportunity for me to be able to share. It's harder to share with those that you love. It's easier to share with a big group of people that you don't know, but it's, it is harder to share one-on-one, especially with young people, but what an opportunity to say, this is not, this is not a road I would ever want you to go down. And this is why this is what it did to me. This is how it damaged me. And I can share what God did for me on the other side of that, but why should they have to even Suffer. I mean, we can save the younger generation from making the same mistakes, and but we can't do that if we're afraid to share. Exactly. So, in the thirty years you've been involved in this, have you noticed a deterioration or an improvement in generational ethics? And by that, I mean I can remember a time when. I would talk to a woman who had an abortion and she said, I had one when I was 13, but my mother and my grandmother encouraged me saying Mm -hmm. they had, and this was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Do you think the tide is turning that there's a greater ethical awareness of how wrong this is before God and before man? I do. I do. And I think there's a few reasons for that. One is we've had what 20 plus years or maybe longer than that of ultrasound being very common and people having their ultrasound pictures on their fridge and their the siblings of these babies can see that mom's pregnant again and went and had her ultrasound and there's my little brother or sister in mommy's tummy or mommy's womb and so I think growing up with that technology is one reason for that. And I do believe the conscience, consciences of our young people are demanding truth. They want to know the truth and they want to stand up for the vulnerable in our society. I find older women harder to talk to, they're still justifying their abortion. They're justifying it along the lines of feminism and power for women that women didn't have and whatever injustice they may have suffered. 
as a, a woman of an older generation. Um, and, and usually those are the ones I get the hardest comments from after I share in a church. It's not the younger people. That's interesting. Now, you said something, and I really do know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway so you can explain it. When you brought up the idea of ultrasounds demonstrating mm-hmm. the humanity of the baby in the womb, mm-hmm. one of the things I've been impressed with, with real options, and the name itself indicates that um, the message that's being shared is abortion is not your only option. But Real Options has strategically placed itself next to Planned Parenthood's. So Mm -hmm. in other words, in the communities where Planned Parenthood has a foothold, Mm -hmm. Real Options has strategically placed itself there. Um, in your many areas of, you know, where you have clinics and also you've moved into the area of having medical clinics, which provide ultrasound opportunities. Mm-hmm. Talk about how those ideas became reality. Well, we know Planned Parenthood as the name provider for abortion in our communities. Now there are other, uh, there are other abortion clinics that don't do anything except abortion, such as family planning associates, um, every hospital, many, many OBGYN offices offer abortion. So just to get that off, off the table, but just the, the billions of dollars that Planned Parenthood has invested in marketing to women in certain communities is is one good reason. I mean, we don't have those dollars, but but they've already apparently done that research. And so by being located near them, we hope to make it easier for women to have another option to come into our clinics to meet with someone who will listen to them and ask them some good questions to care about them holistically to care about them, not just in their, what's, what their circumstances are. Why is this pregnancy a challenge or why did they think abortion is their best option and what's going on, you know, financially, relationally, what support do they have? What, what are the circumstances around this pregnancy And be a support to them. And then if they, of course, have a positive pregnancy test in our clinic, the next step is to have on the same day, if possible, an ultrasound with one of our nurses trained as sonographers. And it's ultrasound is the window to the womb. I mean, they if they go into a Planned Parenthood and ask for an ultrasound, Um, They will not be allowed to see their ultrasound. The policy of Planned Parenthood is not to show their patient the ultrasound. We want to fully inform women. We believe women deserve full information. And there's nothing more life-giving information that they can have than to, to find out if they have a viable pregnancy. Because if they don't have a viable pregnancy, they don't have to go have an abortion. They might have an ectopic pregnancy. They might be at the beginning of a miscarriage. Some of those things we can see on the ultrasound. But is this 
fetus in the uterus? Is there a heartbeat? Is there a certain measurement that we could say, yes, this is a viable pregnancy? And while they're getting all this technical and scientific information, they're also getting to see their child, sometimes with a little wave, sometimes sucking its thumb, or sometimes just that heartbeat that they're seeing. Um, it's it's very, very powerful. And it's powerful for their partners if their husband or boyfriend are with them and they want to be invited, they want to invite them in after they've first seen their scan, they can do that. And we will take the time to do that. So the gateway to getting someone who maybe either doesn't know or does know and is is justifying a potential course of action by saying it's really not a person. Mm-hmm. Once you help them identify clearly this is a person, mm-hmm. it's not like your work with them is over. Even if someone decides not to kill their unborn child, you don't consider, okay, check mark, job done. What no. else have <laughs> you incorporated into really helping this person? Well, we want to make sure she doesn't have an STD that could interfere with her pregnancy or damage her and or her baby. So we we can offer her another step of a health check. We can get her enrolled in our prenatal care appointments uh, where our nurse practitioner will come in and uh, give her an exam at certain gestational age and be a bridge for her health care, giving her prenatal vitamins on her first visit as well. So she starts to take care of herself, giving her nutritional counseling and giving her the opportunity to come back and meet again with that advocate who did her initial consultation. We always ask for permission to pray with our patients on a first appointment and future appointments so that we can give them that spiritual support. 65% of women that choose abortion today self-identify as church-going Christian or Catholic women. So very often we're talking to another Christian or someone who considers herself to be one. And if not, you know, they could be Muslim, Buddhist, atheist, but we're planting a seed that God cares about them, that he loves them, that he created their child, that he has a plan and a purpose for their child. So we go into those conversations and more in depth as permission is given by the patient, but we love to have the spiritual conversation with them and educate them in that regard as well. Everyone has a moral code. Everyone has some sort of background in either religion or in some way where they believe is right and wrong. And this decision is going to affect them in that area once it's made. And so if you just choose abortion and you think it's over, you're done. The pregnancy's done with, I don't have to think about it anymore. Well, we already know there's emotional and mental and physical things that are repercussions to that decision, but there's a spiritual component and it's very real. So being a support to her, um, offering her maternity clothes, 
offering her, let's say she's homeless and she needs housing, trying to help her find housing, helping her, mentoring her in different areas and different ways to support her, to be able to support her child. And also the life-affirming option of adoption, which we like to talk about women choosing parents. If they're not ready to be a parent, she's in college or she's, she's just overwhelmed with horrible circumstances in her life, but she can choose life and choose parents to raise her child. That is really the positive way that we like to approach the option of adoption for women. They're not giving their children away. They're making a plan for their child's life. They're being responsible mother when they're not ready to parent themselves. And that's a beautiful option as well. So we have adoption agencies um, that we partner with that we can refer to and more information we can give them just really putting mothers in the driver's seat and letting them know that they can be a hero in their child's life and give their child the opportunity to live and thrive. If they're not ready to be parents, there's another option. You know, at the outset, I mentioned that abortion is definitely a political issue and you said you concur. However, in the scheme of or the plans on how abortion will end, even among those who know abortion is wrong, there are often some very heated disputes. Um, there should be no laws, some group would say, that give any credence to abortion at any time. And then there are others who say, well, it's still better to do a little bit if you can't do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I know because people are people. Mm-hmm. Your staff, the the nurses and the nurse practitioners and uh, the people surrounding the support of real options probably have some very definite political opinions. Mm-hmm. But how do you not so much bury them, but how do you look at the task at hand and say, when I'm talking to someone who's sitting before me, it's not political, it's personal. Right, because it's all about her and her circumstances and her knowledge of the truth and her knowledge of the truth of what's inside of her body, her knowledge of the truth that it is another person. It's all about appealing to her in that individual case. So, yeah, in in that case, I mean... I would not have broken the law in 1984 to have an abortion. I just wouldn't have. I'm too, I just, I'm not that bold of a person to want to ever do that. So I do believe laws matter, legislation matters, politics matter. But when, when we have that woman before us, each individual patient to be cared for, we're there to provide everything we can with with excellence, with compassion, and do our best to support her. I'm not sure I'm answering your question there. No, no, you have. In other words, you can, to to work, volunteer, to be associated with a pregnancy center such as yours, uh-huh. it's not that you have to park your brain. It's just that you have to recognize 
the circumstances you're in and what the primary goal is to give somebody the information that says you have many options here. Right. What we want her to do is to know that we're there for her no matter what she chooses, that God loves her no matter what she chooses, because he does. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for her no matter what she chooses. And we know that he wants this child to live or he wouldn't have put this child in her in the first place. He, he, God has a plan. Right. We want her to know that God has a plan for her life and it is a good plan. It may seem very difficult and almost impossible to her, but we're going to do our best to help her get over the hurdles of what is difficult. And we're going to show her that it is not impossible. And we have so many beautiful testimonies that women come and thank us or, you know, there's a lot of gender uh, abortion because of gender in this, in our culture. And we've had, men from different cultures insist on abortion unless she's having a boy, right? Mm -hmm. We don't diagnose gender on our ultrasounds for that very reason, because we don't want to give anyone a reason to have an abortion. But we've had families have all kinds of power struggles and some women that have been courageous enough to stand up to their own cultural struggles to make it through their pregnancy. And then when they deliver that boy or that child or that girl, I would hope the girls are as celebrated. Then, then we often see those, those grandparents uh, from those cultures, such as East Indian sometimes, or Muslim cultures who are so thrilled and thankful that they have their grandchild actually come in and thank us. Wow. So it sounds like the advocate and the client, I guess mm-hmm. that's how you would describe them, mm-hmm. have the potential for an ongoing relationship. Absolutely. Even if she walks out undecided after her ultrasound or unsure if she wants to keep a prenatal appointment, um, even if she walks out determined that she's going to go next door and take the abortion pill or have a, have an abortion or keep an abortion appointment. We ask for permission to follow up with her and we will follow up with her in any way she allows us to, whether it's a phone call, a text, inviting her back in just to see how she is. And we let them know that they're always welcome to come back to us, no matter what they decide. And very often it's, a second child that isn't aborted because they'll come back six months later or a year later, not having changed that much about their personal life circumstances or choices that they're making. And they're pregnant again. And they say, you said I could come back and I I don't want to have another abortion. So they feel safe. We hear that all the time. They feel safe to come back. They didn't feel judged. They didn't feel coerced because it's not our job to judge them. And it's not our job to coerce them. They do have the freedom of choice. And we just hope that we can 
care for them well enough and provide enough truth to them with compassion and God's love that they will choose life. Right. Because even if, I mean, it's not like you can sit on a person and say, we're not letting you leave here until you right. promise you're going to do this or that. Right. But um, so going back to not only potentially repeat clients like you've just um, indicated, at some point, real options and its many aspects or ministries is going to have to get down to what you said at the outset, confronting one's own sin. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that if we have the numbers that we have in terms of the number, I think you said, what, 60 million? Was that the number you said about? Over 63 million. Over 63 million. Mm -hmm. So assuming one abortion per woman, we know that it's more than that. That Mm -hmm. means that there are 63 million women Mm -hmm. walking around Mm -hmm. with blood on their hands, Mm -hmm. literally. Yes. So so, so how how does real options help somebody 20 years, a sin 20 years back Mm -hmm. and, and have them feel as though they're really being talked to as opposed to being you know, palliated and saying, oh, well, it was not your fault. You were young. You were in school. Mm. In other words, how do you put the truth there, but in such a way that they hang around to hear it? Well, we're, we're talking to them about what they're going through. So if we have um, someone who's had past abortions and now she's making a decision about this pregnancy, we want to address the past abortions and, and let her know, for instance, is there, there's nothing in the diagnostic uh, code for mental disorders at all about a past abortion. So they're not, when someone is chronically depressed, when she has been suicidal, when she started using drugs, when she started abusing alcohol, when she started really adding even riskier behavior to her, the way she lives and choices she makes is because, is because she's feeling damaged as a person because of that abortion, but nobody ever asks her. Did you have an abortion in your past? Could that be why this started when you were 17 or when you were 21 in college or whatever it is? I mean, it's part of the care to be able to ask those questions and and help her look at it and help her be honest, even with just one person. And then offer her our online support groups that we have twice a month on Zoom. Um, that's a pretty low threshold. Um, there's an there are there's another online support called Abortion Changes You that someone can just do an online study on this for themselves. And then there's our Rachel's Vineyard retreats that we have four times a year in person. It's just sad though that. We just had a retreat last weekend 
And we only had eight participants when we could have had 16 participants. And we have men that come. Sometimes they come as a couple, but sometimes just men come. We've even had 80-year-old women come alone and 80-year-old men come alone because they carried that their whole life and they don't want to die with it. And somebody finally, a pastor, a priest, a friend, somebody finally told them there was a place to go to talk openly and to be supported through a grieving process because that was their child and to bring humanity to their child and to go through the stages of grieving in a safe environment with God's word and to memorialize their child or children and leave with a peace that only God can give them and leave with another piece of their soul back intact again so that they can start believing they're forgiven and start living like forgiven people instead of people full of shame. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting statistic. I think you'll probably corroborate it that oftentimes when women have had abortions, it's not too long before they're volunteering as an escort or at Planned Parenthood in some way, because in their own mind, they want to say, it couldn't be so bad what I did, because look at all these other people that are helping this. Do you find that once people go through this healing process themselves, Mm -hmm. that they have a desire to be advocates or they have a desire to help the ministry in some way? Absolutely. Yes. Often they wind up serving as facilitators in our HOPE program, or they want to work um, as volunteer advocates in the clinics or nurses if they're if they're a licensed RN they want to give back in some way if they can or even in our education program in the schools so that students are educated and make better choices um, and avoid the risks that will put them in the position of having an unplanned pregnancy in the future so sure there there are definite um, there's definite fruit that's going to come out of healing. Absolutely. So one thing that uh, since people don't usually want to talk outwardly about the fact that they're pregnant, oftentimes that's not the first thing they'll say because they're concerned about parents or um, friends or the potential of losing some status somewhere. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, our secular culture of death is attempting and succeeding in some cases of mm-hmm. making an abortion something you can do through the mail in the sense of getting right. necessary drugs to have you abort your child. Mm-hmm. And this is an example, listeners, on how real options and uh, the pro-life medical community is is fighting fire with fire in as much as Now, one of the services that's available are for people who have started the process of a do-it-yourself abortion Mm -hmm. and being able to arrest that process. Would you explain that a little bit? Sure. It's called abortion pill reversal treatment. And 
so we hear about the abortion pill and it's really something like 75% of all abortions are done with medication today because there's a higher profit margin for them. They don't have to have women in having surgeries with the risk of surgery, even though there's, there's a terrible risk uh, to women taking these pills and it's two medications so what, what doctors, really general practice, uh, abortion clinics, and through the mail from other countries, people can get the abortion pill or telemedicine appointments today so they don't ever see a practitioner. They're getting a prescription for two medications. The first one stops the progesterone from nurturing the pregnancy and can cause the woman to begin to spontaneously abort the child. If within 48 hours, she does not. And I think they may even say now 24 because they don't want there to be a chance to reverse the process. Then they're going to take a much stronger drug that will put them into labor at home. And this is supposed to be legal up to 10 weeks and no one's given her an ultrasound to determine anything. If she has a viable pregnancy, if she's under 10 weeks, over 10 weeks. And so it can be very dangerous because they're telling young women, go ahead and take this in your dorm room, in your bedroom at home, They're in their bathroom at home and their parents don't even know that they've taken this medication and they begin to hemorrhage and it's excruciatingly painful from the women I've talked to who have experienced this. It's, it's not just like menstrual cramps. It's very, very painful. It's scary. And they're passing a pregnancy all by themselves they're having an abortion all by themselves. So how traumatic is that to women all alone or with a boyfriend? And they're, they're vomiting. They're going through all sorts of horrible side effects. Sometimes they, have, they call 911 because they get so scared. They think they're going to hemorrhage to death. And I understand there's a, there's a statistic out there. I don't have it at the tips of my fingers right now, but there are traumatized EMTs with post-traumatic stress over the remains of these little fetuses that they're collecting when they go to these calls of women that call them, call 911 and don't know what to do because if they haven't flushed those remains, it sounds horrible and gruesome, uh, but it is then the EMTs have to take them. And so then they're looking at something they weren't ever trained to look at. It's, it's a horror. It's a horror. And to me, it's like back to the back alley for women. So how does an organization like Real Options intercept that? We do our best. Now, right now we're being blocked by Google Heartbeat International is a, is a national organization and they have a whole campaign called the abortion 
Pill Rescue Network. And they actually are granting to Real Options in the Bay Area. Our clinics are being advertised as a place to come for help. If you've taken the first pill and you regret taking the first pill, before you take the second pill, there's a window of opportunity that we can very simply replace your progesterone levels, um, give you an ultrasound exam and see if you still have a viable pregnancy. And if you still have a viable pregnancy, we can give you an injection of progesterone and we can send you with more progesterone in pill form to help save your pregnancy. And it's not 100% effective, but it's, it's very effective and it's a drug. Progesterone's been used for decades to stop repeated miscarriage. So it's very safe. There are no side effects. There are, there are no defects from using this life-saving protocol that, we are will, that we're here to do and offer to women. Now, if they've already taken the second pill, we can't use our protocol, but there are, there are babies that survive the second pill. It's just, um, I, I don't know the statistic of that either. I know that we've seen something like 22 babies born to 20 mothers, two sets of twins born healthy after having taken the abortion pill reversal medication and being followed by us with ultrasounds through the second trimester to make sure their pregnancy stays healthy and making sure they get their prenatal care. Yeah. Interesting that you say that Google is blocking you. The question, you know, has to come to mind that says, why would Google Mm -hmm. have a vested interest Mm -hmm. in making it so people wouldn't know about this option? Right. What, what happened to choice? Yeah. What, What happened to their big, huge God of choice? That's been so important all these years. Why should women not have the choice to find out the full information that they can change their minds and they can save their pregnancies, their children with abortion pill reversal. It's just disgusting how invested big tech has become in a culture of death. And I'm going to say something that maybe make me unpopular. It wouldn't be the first time. But uh, we talked about being intellectually opposed to abortion is not enough. How many people who will listen to this discussion work for big tech, Mm. invest with big tech? Mm -hmm. Maybe your contribution to the sanctity of life will be challenging your employer or challenging where you invest and say, no more, I'm not going to do it and make it known to your colleagues. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, it takes a minority to influence the majority if that minority is definite and certain that what they're doing is the right thing. And Mm -hmm. so I don't think, and maybe Valerie, I've left something out here that you wanted to talk about, but I don't think anybody listening can't find an outlet on how to communicate the truth and to do so in such a way that they're putting legs to their faith. 
I absolutely agree. Absolutely. We, we have got to stand up in every way that we know how and put some feet to our faith. So because Real Options and Obria Medical Clinics have sort of established themselves well enough to be censored, I might say, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's say there's somebody listening who says, my town, my city doesn't have anything like this. And they would like to know more about how they would get started or how they could plug in. How would people reach you or reach any of your staff for help on putting legs to their faith? Great question. And I'd be happy to have them contact me, Valerie, B-A-L-E-R-I-E, at realoptions, all one word, dot net. And so, yeah, they could contact me. I have people ask me all the time how to turn their pregnancy center into a medical clinic. Uh, What do they need to do to raise the support? What do they need to do to grow their organization or to start something new in their community? And I'm very, very happy. My board and I, my team and I will meet with them. They can come and have a tour. They can come and ask questions we will give them any help we can to help them start something in their area. Then, of course, with the blessings of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, truly, we can, as Isaiah 61.3 says, see beauty come from ashes. Amen. Absolutely. All right, Valerie. Well, thanks for taking the time. Uh, You are a busy woman, I know, because of how long it's taken us to get together. But I thank you for your time. And listeners, feel free to contact me. And if you didn't catch her contact information, I can pass it along to you. You can reach me at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.